Well, you guys sounded good tonight. It's loud in here with the voices, and I love that. Um, as a church, we have been in a Christmas series the last couple of weeks called The Gift. And in this series, we've been looking at the meaning of the three different gifts that were given to Jesus uh, by the wise men as recorded in Matthew 2, verse 11. This microphone is not liking me tonight. Matthew 2 records that when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, wise men or magi came. They traveled from a nation east of Israel to Jerusalem in order to worship Jesus. And they were coming to worship him for a very specific reason. These wise men were trained in astrology and astronomy, and it's believed that they also would have studied the Jewish scriptures as part of their pursuit of wisdom. So one evening, these wise men saw a star rise in the sky and they understood its meaning and it filled them with joy because they knew that the star signified the good news that the promised one who would be born king of the Jews had come into the world. So in response, the wise men journeyed a long journey from their homeland in the east in search of this newborn king. They eventually found him and where he was staying. And Matthew 2.11 tells us, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We've taken our our last couple Sundays together to reflect on the significance of the gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men and how it's widely concluded that each one, in addition to being valuable and practical, has a deeper spiritual meaning that foreshadows who Jesus is and why he came. Two weeks ago, we looked at the gift of frankincense and how it represents Jesus as our great high priest. The one who would sacrifice himself for his people and who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. The one who now and continually sits at the right hand of God interceding for us before our father in heaven. Then last week we looked at myrrh and how it represents Jesus as our suffering servant, the lamb of God who would suffer and die for the sins of the world. And we stared into the extent of his suffering as much as words would allow us to. Meditating on the horrors of what he went through. And I said last week it was horrific because our sin, which he came to free us from, is horrific. And so this evening on Christmas Eve, we're left with one final gift to consider the significance of. The gift of gold. Gold is certainly the most well-known of these three gifts in our day because gold remains now, as it was in Jesus' day, immensely valuable and has been used as a standard for the measurement of wealth throughout history and throughout nations. Gold is the perfect gift for a king. And that's what we want to reflect on this evening, the gift of gold from the wise men and what it represents. And it represents the kingship of Jesus, that our king, who was born in a manger, has come. Jesus' story as a baby begins with wise men worshiping him as the king of the Jews. And while he is the king of the Jews, 
His kingdom and his authority is not limited to that title alone. In fact, if we flip all the way to the end of our Bibles, all the way to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, we see the fullness of Jesus's kingship. Revelation 19 records the final judgment that will come to the world and with it, the final victory of the kingdom of God. I don't need this. As the power of evil is broken. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need it. I can move. And in this chapter, the Apostle John sees a vision of Jesus in all of his splendor, in all of his power, in all of his majesty that leaves no doubt as to the extent of his kingship. In chapter 19, John sees heaven open and Jesus sitting on a white horse, his eyes like fire, and upon his head he wore many crowns, and he's robed in a, a white robe. And verse 16 of chapter or 19 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The one whom the wise men worshipped as king of the Jews was born to be king of kings and lord of lords. This name powerfully states with the utmost conviction who Jesus is. King of kings and lord of lords emphasizes the fact that Jesus is the supreme authority over all the kingdoms of the world. And when I say world, I mean all of creation, all of the earth and all of the universe are in his hands and under the authority of King Jesus. Amen. Which makes what we celebrate tonight, his birth, so special. Because who would have expected the one who is king over everything would be born in such an unusual way and live such an unusual life? Though God, through the prophets, revealed who his king would be and where and how he would be born, no one actually expected it to happen in the way that it did. In part because of our worldly understanding of what a king is. A king is someone who is born into royalty, born into prestige, living in a castle with servants. Yet King Jesus came to serve, not to be served. No one expected God to send his one and only son, the king of all creation, to be born in the way that he was, in a lowly manger. His earthly father, a carpenter from Nazareth in Galilee. An area looked down upon within the nation of Israel. By Jewish standards, there's no way a king would be born in Nazareth. Later, when Jesus started his earthly ministry and his disciple Philip told his friend Nathaniel that he had found the Messiah and said he was from Nazareth, Nathaniel's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? No one thought the king of kings and lord of lords would be born in a manger and that his life would follow the trajectory that it did. That he would grow up modestly with his family and begin a public ministry preaching about a kingdom that was not of this world. Befriending sinners, touching lepers, 
and loving those who the religious elite had dismissed and thrown away as unredeemables. No one expected him to choose uneducated fishermen, hated tax collectors, and overall nobodies to be his disciples, to be his closest followers. Like, shouldn't he recruit only the best men like the rest of the Pharisees and the priests did at the time? No one imagined this king would show mercy to a woman caught in adultery when the law said she should be stoned. Or confront the hypocrisy of the religious leaders over and over as they put impossible burdens upon the people. No one expected the king to make room for the outcast, for the hurting, for the lame, for the immoral ones. Room for anyone to enter his kingdom who would come to him in humility, recognizing their need for him. No one thought a king would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Shouldn't he be on the most regal of horses? No one expected this king to stand trial for crimes that he did not commit, all the while not opening his mouth to defend himself. And no one ever imagined an innocent king would be beaten and whipped and scourged and hung on a cross as people mocked him. And while they did that to him, that he would look up to heaven and pray for mercy for the very ones who were torturing him, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No one expected the king to die a shameful death in front of people mocking him. And when he breathed his last, no one predicted that the sky would go dark and the earth would shake. And certainly, no one thought that three days later, when women went to the tomb, they would find the stone rolled away, the body of this king missing, and discover he was risen from the dead, and that this king now sits at the right hand of God the Father with all power and all authority over absolutely everything. Like, what kind of king is that? Certainly not a king like the world had ever known. He's not a king anyone expected. He's not even a king that anyone thought that they wanted. But he's exactly the king that every single one of us here and every other person in all of creation needed. I need him. You need him. We all need him. And what we have to understand about this king is that King Jesus demands a response from every one of us. There's a question that we are all faced with that you can try to push away and ignore, but you'll have to face at one point in your life. And your response will determine the trajectory of your life here and in eternity. And the question is, how will you respond to this newborn king? It's a question that each of us has to answer. It's a question that every person has answered throughout history, whether they realize it or not. And it's a question that those who were present at the first Christmas had to answer as well. How would they respond to Jesus 
as king. And when you read the Christmas story in Matthew 2, you see three different responses to Jesus as king on the first Christmas, which today, 2,000 years later, remains the same responses of people to Jesus as king. Every person will respond in one of three ways. The first way is seen in the response to Jesus by King Herod. King Herod opposed Jesus as king. When King Herod heard the wise men had come to Jerusalem looking for the one who was to be born king of the Jews, he was troubled. Matthew 2 verse 4 says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He wanted to know where he could find this newborn king. And so he appealed to the men who knew the scriptures and the prophecies about this king. And he also enlisted the help of these wise men who had come to worship him. Verse 7 and 8 says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And so he sends the wise men out, directing them, Bring word back to me when you've found them, so that I can go and worship him as well. But it turns out Herod's desire to find Jesus wasn't pure. And so God warns the wise men not to relay Jesus' whereabouts to Herod and not to go back to him. Instead, verse 12 tells us, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And in verse 16, it gives us the reason why. What King Herod's true intentions were. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Jesus was such a threat to King Herod. He was willing to do horrific things in order to kill him. But why did he oppose him so strongly? Because he was a threat to his own kingdom. He was a threat to his own reign, to his own position. And maybe there's some of you in here this evening that you oppose Jesus as king. Because he's a threat to your kingdom. He's a threat to your life that you have built and the desires that you are chasing. You demand your own autonomy. You want to be Lord of your own life. You don't want to give up the reins to Jesus because he threatens what you have built, your comfort and your control. And maybe you've thought that you've bought the lie that the world sells that ultimate happiness is found in living for yourself. If that's you, whether you realize it or not, you are opposing King Jesus. The second way in which people respond to Jesus is seen in the response of the priests and the scribes who Herod assembled in Matthew 2.4 when he inquired of them where Jesus was to be born. I find this fascinating. The scripture doesn't explicitly highlight this, but 
The chief priests and the scribes were the men who were supposed to know and understand the scriptures better than anyone else. The chief priests were the representatives of God, or the representatives of the people to God. And so you would think that when King Herod came to them and said, hey, the the wise men saw this star, we're trying to figure out what it means, and, you know, they believe the king of the Jews was born, where would he be found? That, That their response would be, I want to go worship him. This is what we've been waiting for. Let's go and behold this newborn king. You'd think they'd be excited like the wise men and they'd go and find him. But there's no indication they did that. There's no indication that they opposed him the way King Herod did either. Instead, they were indifferent to him. They told Herod where the king would be born, and then they went back to their business. They didn't seek him out. They were indifferent. They were dismissive of this newborn king in the manger. And that may be some of you. You're indifferent to Jesus as king. Dismissive of him. You don't see the need or the point for Jesus. It's fine for those who do. You don't oppose that. It's just not for you. And so you don't really give it much thought. And then there's the third response. And this one's seen in the response of the wise men. They heard the news of this newborn king and they sought him out and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And the question is, what is your response? Do you oppose Jesus as king? Are you indifferent to him? Or do you worship him as king? You know, Christmas Eve is often one of the hardest services to preach. One pastor has called Christmas Eve a pass-through service. Because some are just passing through. I know there are some here that are only here because it's tradition. It's just what you do on Christmas Eve. And there are still others here that you are only here because a family member or a friend urged you or maybe made you. You didn't have a choice. And I want you to know if that's why you're here tonight, I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know that for some of you, one of the reasons, that may be the reason why you came. But God has another reason for you being here tonight. I know that because your reason for being here is exactly what my reason was when I walked through the door of a church 12 years ago. I was 24. And I fell very strongly in the camp of being indifferent to Jesus. Why did it matter? What does it have to do with my life? And I, I maybe even fell into the camp of opposing him a little bit. And I went to church for someone else. That person right there. <laughs> what I didn't realize was 
God had me there for me. And what I didn't expect was for the truth of who Jesus is to break through to me and expose the hurt and expose the brokenness and expose the sin in my heart and open up my heart enough to at least examine who is this king. And as I examine the claims made about Jesus, because I'm someone who needs to know. I need to know. I need to connect the dots. I need to reason it out. And as I did, my head and my heart, through the help of the Holy Spirit, affirmed the claims that I was told about him were true. And the same thing can happen for you. You may not have come here tonight for you, but God has you here Because he loves you. And you need to hear the truth about his son, the king of kings and lord of lords. You need to know that you are a sinner. Not a mistaker. Your heart is corrupt because of sin. And God sent his son, King Jesus, to be born in a manger in order to die on a cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. So that whoever will repent, repent just means to turn from your ways, to turn from sin and come to faith in Jesus. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for you, that he covered your sins with his blood on the cross so that you would be forgiven and righteous before God, your creator. You go from the path of death to life when you put your faith in him and you stop living for yourself. And you pledge your allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I believe for some of you tonight, God has you here just to hear that. That you've been chasing your own desires, that you've been chasing your own life. Some of you would maybe say that I've known Jesus for years, but he hasn't been Lord. And this babe who's born in a manger, this King of kings and Lord of lords, wants to be Lord of your life. And so the question is, how will you respond to him? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for the men and women in here, the young people. Father, I pray for those who know you, who have faith in you, Father, I pray that their faith this Christmas even would, this Christmas season would deepen, that their conviction of who you are and their love for you would strengthen. Father, I pray for any hearts in here who oppose you, who want to be Lord of their own life. Father, show them it doesn't work. There is one king, there is one Lord over all, and they need Jesus. Father, I pray that you would lovingly reveal the need for Jesus to them. 
And Father, I pray for the heart in here that is maybe just here because a family member asked them to come or even made them come. The story of Christmas is not a Christmas, it's not a story that we can ignore. And that's what people need to understand. This is not some cute tale about a baby born. This is about the birth of the king who is over everything. And the reality is that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Some will just do it too late. And I pray for every heart in here that it would not be too late. Reveal the need for Jesus, I pray. In his mighty name. Amen.